We don't have a catechism today. Um, my wife encouraged me to speak something that was just been on my mind lately or on my heart. So that's kind of what I'm going to do today. Um, now, there's not a key passage in particular, but what we're talking, we'll be talking about, kind of like gives us a gaze throughout all of Scripture, a kind of a big picture concept today. Um, you know how the Bible says, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatever it is that you're doing, do all to the glory of God, right? And we can apply that to a multitude of things, um, that whatever you do kind of opens it up for pretty much anything that you do, right? <laughs> but kind of verbatim what it's talking about. Um, but don't you think that then, therefore, our faith should glorify God? How does faith glorify God? How do we glorify God by our faith? Okay, by living your life for Him, by showing your love for others. Faith in the first place shows you believe God, and that's about as bad as you can get is to not believe Him. Yeah. Right. So you so faith shows that you believe God. And that's kind of where the, my train of thought is kind of going today. Um, now math teacher, you're math you were a math teacher, right? So you know a little a thing or two about math, right? Um, you could probably explain to us a complicated mathematical problem. Simpsons rules. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So I, you could come up here and teach us about that all day, um, and we would be like, wow, man, he knows a lot about math. Uh, but ha has anybody ever given you glory for teaching 2 plus 2? Like, oh, man, can you believe Mr. Schultz knew, knows exactly what 2 plus 2 is? Six. <laughs> Maybe we need some teaching here. <laughs> no, 2 plus 2 is not hard to explain. It's not conceptually massive. It's very simple. Jayla, what's 2 plus 2? 4. Four. You know, and she's actually knows a lot more math than that. Um, Tucker... Sure, sure, than that. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Let me tell you this. Okay. In, in uh, fundamentals of math in college, the instructor that was known to be a legendary mathematician in the United States okay. went up there on the board and wrote one Mm -hmm. And he turned around to the class and he said, uh, that is not a number. Okay. Now that, that had 350 students just in that horrible uproar. Okay. Uh, so there's more to it than meets the eye. Okay, okay. His point was, you got to get off of thinking what you're saying is a number. Yeah. You know, that number is abstract. That's a numeral. That's a name for a number. Okay. And then get us thinking what are other names for a number. So, yeah, yeah, so now it's getting too complicated for me in here, <laughs> you know, but in general, um, we don't really give glory by believing somebody when they say two plus two is four, because that's obviously reasonable. Everybody knows it. It's easy to accept. You'd be silly to not accept that 2 plus 2 is 4. 
Now, apply that to our faith dilemma. How does faith glorify God? Now, is God in Scripture telling us very simple things? Do we see in Scripture things that are easily reasonable, that are fully acceptable to mass populations as, yeah, that sounds average, normal, Yeah, impossible things. The scriptures are filled with impossible things. I mean, for instance, we've talked a little bit about this on Sunday, but what are some impossible things that happened to Abraham? The birth of Isaac. What was so impossible about that? People give birth every day. He was, he was old, she was old, she was also barren. Impossible. That was an impossible thing. What else? And just because they didn't know any different, at, at least after that happened, it was possible. So nobody could ever say again it's impossible. Yeah, well. Just by the standards we're going yeah. by. You know, there's yeah. no known incident where that happened. Mm-hmm. But as far as normal things are concerned, concern, the human flesh, even though it's happened before, it's still impossible. That just doesn't happen. Like, we can't make that happen. It's impossible to us. We've seen it written that that has happened, but that doesn't make it possible. But God does impossible things. That's what makes it amazing. That's what a miracle is. A miracle is something that is impossible, but God does it. You know, how Jesus was, you know, how he would um, disappear from crowds. <laughs> That's impossible, but it happened. You know, you know, there's all sorts of things in scriptures that are impossible. For instance, creation. Conceptually speaking, scientifically speaking, humanly speaking, that's impossible. You can't make something from nothing. That's not, that defies all laws of everything. That's impossible. I mean, so is evolution, but that's another um, discussion. But even from the very beginning, creation's impossible. It was imp- it's impossible for a, a hundred-year-old barren woman to bear, have a baby. What was impossible concerning Jericho? Remember Jericho? What was impossible about that? Do marching bands usually knock over walls? <laughs> no, that's impossible, but it happened. It's impossible, but God did it. Did Joshua believe God when God said, go do this, and this is what's going to happen? He believed him. It's impossible for dead people to come back to life. That's not possible. That just can't happen. Humanly speaking, right? That's absurd. It's impossible for some spiritual realm called heaven to exist, humanly speaking. That's not possible. That's bogus. 
It's impossible for us to not be held accountable for our own sins. That's not possible. If you did the sin, then that's your sin. That's not somebody else's sin. It's not even possible for the Bible to exist. This Bible right here. It's not possible that this thing could exist. I mean, just think about it. 66 books written by at least 40 different authors. Oh, taking into consideration some of the books, we don't really know exactly who wrote them. Over a span of 1,500 years, written by people from vastly different backgrounds and levels of intellect and experience. But yet, to be one unified whole with no error presents a singular redemption storyline from cover to cover, as though all of these authors got together one day in a cooperative meeting to discuss who's going to write what concepts and how it's going to play a part in the, in the storyline. And we're going to, you know, you're going to keep the storyline moving. You're going to write the poetry that then turns into prophecy. And then you're going to, you know... But everything operates like all these people that operated within vastly different time periods from way different backgrounds. It's almost as though they got together and over a course of a couple of years planned this whole thing out and then made it all work together. But that's not what happened. None of these people met each other. You know, save the apostles. It's not possible for something like this to exist. But it does. It's impossible for a transcendent spiritual deity to relate to human beings, let alone pursue their justification on his own by means of his own sacrifice. That's just not... From human experience, that's not what happens. That's not possible. For a God, like the God that the Bible talks about, who's all-powerful, all-wise, sovereign, the creator of the universe, a God who justly condemns sinners, who has no obligation to us, who cannot be judged by us, who is not swayed one way or another by, by human intellect or manipulation, you know, from human experience, somebody with a relationship like God has with us, we're the ones who get crushed and destroyed, and he's the one who just does whatever he wants for his own good. Not even considering the good of the other people. That's what happens in the human experience. That type of benevolence does not exist. And these things, these types of impossible things... To believe it gives God glory. Because you and I know that that stuff does not happen in the human experience. And that's the only experience we have, right? At least prior to God interceding in some spiritual manner in our lives. The only experience we can possibly have is human experience. So on what basis do we have to believe all of this? Mm-hmm. And that goes back. Yeah. 
There is that element in there, right. but then they kind of have to figure it out. Right. Just like I think there's something in every evolutionist that realizes that this isn't reasonably possible for all of this to happen in an evolutionary process the way it does, for an honest person anyway. It's absurd to say that all this stuff, it's, it's only even more absurd than to say all this stuff in the Bible fits together so succinctly, so perfectly, and in such cooperation, even though these people had no interaction with each other to be able to coordinate all of this. <laughs> you know, evolution is even far more beyond that impossible, even from a human standard. So it's obvious that there's some sort of higher power <laughs> that set all this stuff in motion. Yeah, and just like when Paul in Paul when he was talking on Mars Hill, he says, um, "Let's see here. Let's see here. Let's see. And he made from one man every nation and mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place." so that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us. You know, he set all these things in motion. He did what he did. And he, he gave us enough so that we could at least know that there's a God to seek after. You know, and he was connecting with these people, knowing that they were deep idolaters. They were very religious people, he admitted at the very beginning. You know, at least they had that going for him, like, they were going as much as they could with the knowledge that they had. They knew that there was a God that they needed to worship. I mean, creation itself tells us that much, that there's a God that we need to worship. But it doesn't tell us the details of the gospel. That's where Paul comes in with the preaching of the gospel. You know. They, right. they were far removed from any Jewish or Christian influence, but yet they worshipped <laughs> their own gods. Right. So there is something, and even Solomon himself said, and this it's a very abstract saying that could, you know, you could use for a lot of different things. But he says, "You have set eternity on our hearts." And Solomon said that. So there's something eternal that exists even within the human flesh that we can see that there's something bigger than just the human flesh. Now, not all of us realize it because we get distracted with the here and now. Which they would have, Incas and so on, would have gotten their start at ba ba Babel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all hear about the flood all the time. Yeah. And out from there. Right. But... Back to the this big idea here. I mean, this stuff in the scriptures, and there's no, there's numerous other things that we could talk about. That just there's stuff in the Bible that's just impossible. You know, I mean, this stuff could could show up in a novel somewhere and be like, oh, that's a good story. That's just from somebody's imagination. Some of this stuff sounds like it just came out of somebody's imagination. <laughs> Some of the stories are just. I mean, that's great imagine that's great imagination, but that could never happen. That's impossible. There's a lot, tons of that stuff in the scriptures. And that's where true glorification of God comes 
with faith. That we are honest enough with Scripture to realize that this can't happen. But God made it happen. So I believe Him. Because I believe God. I don't believe what I see with my eyes. I'm going to believe God in what He has said. That brings glory to God. Now, we always, we always bring glory to God when we obey Him and when we believe Him, at least to a certain degree. But it's far more in my... I may be wrong about this, and rebuke me if I'm wrong. But if God says... Um, if the scriptures say, um, love one another, that's reasonable. I mean, that's kind of natural, actually. If somebody loves you, you love them. That's kind of natural. It's not a huge thing to do that. <coughs> Everybody loves somebody. I mean, there may be some exceptions to that. <laughs> but in general, people love people, or at least they want to. They want to love somebody. They want to be loved by somebody. It's reasonable to see in the scriptures, love one another. That's reasonable. Now we do it, and that brings glory to God. But the things that we do and we believe God for that are unreasonable, those are the things that really stand out. And really, those are the things that you get ridiculed for. You don't get ridiculed for loving your neighbor. Your neighbor's not going to ridicule you for loving them. Because everybody wants to be loved, right? So what do we get ridiculed for? The things that just loving are... Fa- what? Loving your enemies. Loving your enemies. Okay, your enemies will still ridicule you. Sometimes maybe that will be a big point in their conversion. And honestly, for some people that is. I've heard plenty of testimonies of people who converted because there was this Christian friend that just loved them and loved them no matter how much they abused them back. And it eventually warmed down with the love of Christ. But a lot of people, you show them love, they'll still, they will ridicule you just like they did before. But in general, when you are ridiculed, it's because you are saying something that is unreasonable to them. Why do I need this Jesus stuff? I mean, I'm living my life just fine. Everything's going smoothly. I'm not doing anything that bad. Why do I need your version of life? So they'll ridicule you for it. They'll reject you for it. Or you're trying to tell them about creation. Creation. You ignorant fools. Now, haven't you ever read a science book? Come on. Creationism is fairy tale stuff. So you get ridiculed for it. Why? Because that's unreasonable to the human flesh. And I think it's healthy, just in the last few minutes here, I think that there is some health in us being honest enough to look at Scripture and admit this stuff is, some of this stuff is impossible. Because then we can really, from a heart of submission, glorify God. Because when I accept that humanly this is impossible, but I believe God, because God is worth believing, no matter what. That brings him glory. That brings him honor. But if we are, and if we're never confused by this stuff, and I think that sometimes we should be confused by this stuff. Sometimes we should question it. And then come back to, and then that's where true faith really comes in. Strong faith really comes in. When you're willing to accept something that you don't even really see yet, but you accept it because you know God is true, 
because God, that God is right and he is your authority, he is your Lord, that brings glory to God. That kind of submission brings glory to God. And that kind of submission strengthens your faith, strengthens your bond to him. I mean, that's why the Bible says our suffering produces endurance. You don't, in, you don't grow in endurance by living an easy life. You don't grow in stamina. Like you're the athlete, right? You don't grow in stamina by laying on the couch, right? <laughs> when you were in high school, you didn't get, you know, in shape by laying on the couch, right? Right. Right. By causing your body to suffer <laughs> through all of this vigorous exercise. The pain causes the endurance. And sometimes it's the suffering through Scripture. As we go through Scripture and we're like, this doesn't make any sense. But then you dig and you dig and you dig by faith, prayerfully seeking the Lord, submitting yourself to Him every step of the way. That's what builds your character. That's what builds your faith. That's what really submits you to God. Because if we're just kind of, yeah, whatever, well, God, 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 God is God, but we're not really suffering through it, we're not really um, um, emptying ourselves of our own ambition or desire or will or as we're reading scripture, we have to be careful because that's, if we just kind of readily accept whatever without thinking about it, that's really just superstition or brainwashing. You can be a brainwashed Christian and believe all the stuff we believe, but not have faith, you're just brainwashed. Because you haven't really engaged it. And asked the questions and wrestled through the hard things. It's like, whatever, I just want somebody to tell me what to do. Well, that's how cults start. <laughs> not cults, not the Indianapolis cults. Cults. <laughs> Religious cults. That's how those types of things start. Just tell me what to believe and I'll believe it. Whatever it is. Okay, here's what you need to believe. Make it somewhat sensible to the human mind. People love that kind of stuff. Just give me the answers and I'll run with it. That's superstition, that's brainwashing. But to really engage and suffer through it, that's faith. And you're submitting to it. So that's kind of my charge to you today. is Don't just overlook hard things. Engage them by faith and thereby bring glory to God. Have a faith that's vibrant and God-honoring.